Hello there, Dr. Alan Hedberg here again, and this is the Psychology Report. You know, one of the things that I find in my uh, counseling of uh, couples, and particularly older couples, is the fact that they have not made provisions for the distribution of their financial estate and their property should one of them die or they both die. It's something that you don't want to discuss and you find difficulty discussing it. So usually a matter of some conflict, difference of opinion. So a lot of these kind of questions and matters are deferred and deferred and deferred again to the point that they're not really dealt with. And then all of a sudden one dies or a divorce that takes place or there is some kind of a tragedy in their family life and then they have to discuss it. They have to do something about it. And usually under stress and under tension and relatively quickly. So one of the things that I try to do in my counseling of, of older couples is to raise the question as to whether they have their estate in order, whether they have a trust, whether they have a will, whether they've talked about their distribution plan, and um, have they discussed it with their children? Do the children know about it? Have they had a family meeting, which I encourage them to do, by the way? But when it comes down to kind of the distribution of your property and your funds, Here's a sticky issue. What about your children? You know, in today's age, it's not just simple. It's not just the fact that you have your own children. Often you are in a blended family situation or you're in a situation with children that are very complex and difficult and some have even been estranged, you know, from the family for years. How do you deal with all these issues? Well, not easily, by the way. But they need somebody to talk to. And I generally am one of the first persons that really raises that question with them. Often attorneys don't. Often their tax person does not. Often their pastors do not. Often their leaders of church or leaders of organizations do not. So they don't have anybody to really sit down and think it through with them. And I'm often the person that they consult. And they don't usually come to me for this reason. But in the process of my counseling, for whatever the reason they come, this is an issue that I think is important to raise, particularly with older couples. So what do you do? Well, I came upon a piece of information in a, in a paper uh, that was distributed by Trinity Western University in Langley, British Columbia, just outside of Vancouver, Trinity Western University. This comes from their planned financial giving department. And it gives some guidelines as to what one might think about and consider when you're looking at ways to Set up a plan for the distribution of your property and your estate. And uh, if you don't have somebody you know, to talk to, look up Trinity Western University on the uh, website and go to the plan giving department and give them a call. They'll be glad to talk with you in person or on the phone or however to at least get you started in setting up some kind of a plan for your own uh, family and for you as a couple. But let's take a couple of these situations that are fairly typical, actually. If you have a will, it usually specifies how your funds and your property is going to be distributed and to what child and so on upon your death. Or if you have a trust, which is even better, you can spell out not only the child and how things are going to be distributed, but the degree to which your funds will go, the percentage of Funds going to one child, to another child, to charity, and to other kind of purposes, you say. 
So it's good to have some kind of an instrument. A trust is better, but a will is essential. 40% of the population have a will. Most people do not have a will. So if you don't have a will, you better get to it right now. That's a top priority. And maybe with a will, you'll set up a trust. But at least you need a will because that starts to set the parameters for how money can be distributed upon your death. But if you don't have a will, this is the problem. If you don't have a will, your monies go to the state in which you live. I live in California. Governor Brown would be happy to have the monies coming from a state of people who do not have a will. 50% of it goes to the state of California in that case. Or in your state, it's probably the same, about 50% if you don't have a will. Why would you want to take 50% of all the monies you have at the point that you die and give it to the state of California or give it to your state in which you live? Why would you want to do that? That's next to being silly. It would be far better for you to have a program and have a document that says that your funds will go to certain children, your funds will go to certain people, your funds will go to certain charities, your funds will go to certain universities or whatever it might be to advance the causes for which you have interest and for which you have considerable confidence and desire. What if you have a child that is has special needs? It could be a mongoloid child. You know, it could be a child that's physically disabled. Physically, uh, could be somewhat mentally challenged, learning disabled in some way. A child that is not capable of working at all or is capable of only working part-time or to a very limited extent. But you have other children that are perfectly, if you will, normal and are productive and are able to work and earn their own income and manage their own affairs. How do you deal with that? Well, most families deal with it in this way. They set the distribution up in such a way that the children that are productive and are normal, if you will, get a certain sum of money and divide it between them. But a larger sum of money is put aside for the disabled child and put into a trust, which is called a special needs trust. The trust that's set up for a child that has special needs and then is administered upon your death. So that child then has the benefit of funds specifically to help them live independently or supplement their income or supplement their living situation or whatever it might be. It's called a special needs trust. And that can be set up and um, take care of it so that when you die and you're gone, your children are well cared for and well thought of and you've provided. You've provided for them. What about the situation where you have an ex a very uh, expensive child? I, mean, I call it the expensive child. Let's say you have two children or three children or whatever it might be, but one child was very expensive. Went to medical school or went on to graduate school and got a degree and some advanced course of studies of some kind and was very costly, uh, very, very costly to educate that particular child through four years of undergraduate school and four years of graduate school and two more years of kind of some specialized training. And so over maybe over eight years or 10 years of education, a very great sum of money was spent educating that particular child. Now, maybe it was good. Maybe it was worth it. That child was thankful and very grateful and very appreciative of the help that allowed that education to be achieved. But there's another child or maybe two or three other children in the home that didn't pursue that kind of education, weren't able to pursue that kind of education, did not have the benefit of receiving that kind of fund 
or those those funds to um, advance their causes. So over the course of eight or ten years or whatever it might be, one child received a very large sum of money, where the other child or two children or three children received only a moderate sum of money in the course of giving, in the course of living, in the course of just giving money to your children and spending money on your children. So how do you deal with that when it comes to a trust or a will and it comes down to you distributing your funds or your uh, property? Well, usually you sit down as a family and you talk about it. Usually you explain the situation so that everybody understands, everybody knows about it, everybody is aware, no secret. But you say to your children, you know, because one child was very expensive and got a lot of money along the way, and the other ones didn't, that in your will, in your distribution upon your death, you're going to try to balance the uh, cause and balance the distribution of the money. So by putting into your will or into your trust a provision where the other two children that receive less over the years will now receive more at the point of your death, but where the child that did get a lot of money along the way will actually receive less at the point of your death in that distribution. And you explain that. You talk about that. So there's not a secret. And it's not something that uh, will hit them, you know, upon your death. And then they have to hear the will read and see this kind of distribution. No, they've prepared for it. And you've done that in a, in a very calm manner, in a very honest way, and in a very upright, open manner. So you, that's usually the procedure you follow when one child received much more income and money along the way for some reason. could be education, but there could be other reasons. And then you make that up at the point of death. There are some children that just demand more. So parents give them more. Another child doesn't demand more. So they get less. But it's at the time of death that you can make up that difference. But I recommend that you do it in a uh, open and a uh, manner in which you discuss so people really understand and know, you know what's going on. Well, now, what about the idea of one family uh, member, one child, was very successful? And the other children in the family were successful, but moderately successful. You may have one child that uh, benefited from stock investments and uh, received a great deal of money, or had a lawsuit settled and received a great sum of money or for some reason benefited from a source of income over and above what his siblings ever received in life. So you have essentially one child that is financially successful or financially well-heeled, if you will, and the other child or children are only moderately financially healed or have only been moderately financially successful. So what do you do in that kind of a situation? Well, again, I similar in a very similar kind of manner. You explain that in the course of a family discussion. And you say, because of that, we would like to do this. And you'd like to give a little bit more money to the two or three children that have been less than successful and a little less money to the child that has been very successful and very uh, productive. But you might throw in some other factor. You might throw in an heirloom. You might throw in a... Um, a car or some kind of a provision of some kind of piece of property of some kind to the child that is even quite successful so that it may not be balanced but that it would at least appear to be a reasonable balance that you have brought about within the the family among the children 
It's a matter of being creative and it's a matter of being open and discussing and maybe children have a way that they would recommend you handle it. Maybe they know how to distribute your money. Maybe they have certain preferences and, you know, children often are very kind to each other and very thoughtful to each other. There are some that are not, by the way. I understand that. But uh, there are children that are just very thoughtful and want to make, make it fair. They want to be fair among the siblings. Because after your death, they have to go on and live with each other. They have to go on being friends. They have to go on being siblings. So they often are, are thoughtful and considerate of each other. So bring them into the formula. Bring them into the discussion. Now, there's another kind of a child. Sometimes we call that the estranged child. You may have two children. One child just basically ran away from home. At 17, 18, or whatever it was, that child says, I'm out of here. And um, just cut off their contact with the family. And maybe over 10 years, 15 years, and I've heard 20 and 30 years, never hear from that child again. The sibling doesn't hear, and the parents don't hear from that child. That child basically cut off the family and went it alone. What's your responsibility there? Do you have a responsibility to this estranged child? Well, some people feel they do. It's still my son, still my daughter. You know, it's the same thing if you have one daughter that's into the drug world. And then another daughter that's not, or a son that's in the drug world, and a daughter that's not, or whatever it might be. And, you know, they're strange by, by virtue of the fact that they have chosen the world of drugs rather than the world of family life. So how do you deal with that? Well, it's not uncommon for parents to sit down and say, look, this guy's been estranged from us. We've heard nothing. We've, we make contact, and he doesn't respond. We tried it, and he doesn't respond. So they give him nothing. Or they might give them a few dollars in their trust or their will. But they give them essentially nothing. And all the funds then go to the other child that has been responsible and reliable and dependable and been involved in family life. So it's okay to do that. Because one child had made a choice. One child made a decision to move away from family life. And when they move away from family life, they move away from the benefits of family life. And financial benefits is just one of the things they move away from. Sometimes kids don't think about it that way. But um, nonetheless, they've chosen a lifestyle apart from the family. So at the time of your death, there are no benefits that go to that particular child. And certainly if a child has chosen a life of drugs, why would you want your funds, any of your funds, to go to that child to be used to support a drug culture, to support a drug-dominated life? Why would you want that? So nothing goes to that particular child. Because you don't agree. You don't support that kind of lifestyle. That's not part of your value system as a family. But here's a tricky one. The blended family. This is always a tricky one. You know, mom and dad uh, become divorced. And, you know, mom remarries. Dad remarries. They have a child between them. He comes with children. She comes with children. And how do you put that all together in terms of a blended family? Well, you first of all have to have a prenuptial agreement. That's what you first have to do. You have to have an agreement that whatever funds were uh, part of the uh, male or the father are identified. And the funds that were identified with the mother are set forth. And those are identified and written out in paper. And we have now at least a, an agreement. A summary or we have an accounting of how much money is identified with parent one and parent two so that when you remarry you bring that money to the new marriage you say so then you have to have an agreement you know that you 
are going to give all of the fathers or the stepfathers money to his children and all the her money to her children. That's one way of doing it. Or you do it by need or you do it by uh, the degree to which the children have bonded and become part of the new family, the new blended family. If they estrange themselves and move away and do not bring, do not become part of the new family, the new marriage, then maybe they get less or nothing. So you have to look at that in the sense of saying, you know, we have a family and what is our level of responsibility? Sure, your primary responsibility is then to your child that you had together once you remarried. The remarried couple has a child. That's the first priority. And that child generally derives a greater benefit. Then the other children that were part of the previous marriages usually derive less benefit. And you can set that up in many different kind of ways. But it doesn't have to be even. That's the point that you have to understand. None of these situations have to be even. There is no such thing as even. It's fairness. It's equitable. It's on the basis of what's just and what's needed and what's appropriate at this point in time in a person's life. And this has to be updated. You have to have your trust, your will, and your thinking on this matter or your document, whatever you write up, updated because it changes over time. Kids get older, their financial situation changes. You get older, your your financial situation changes. So you have to periodically kind of come back and review these documents and see if they're still the way that you want it to be set up. If that's the case, fine, you go forward. But you can't just assume that once you did it, it's good forever. Because circumstances change a great deal. When you have kids, circumstances change often and frequently and quite unexpectedly even. So then you have to update your documents so that there is that ongoing sense of fairness and equitableness and uh, common consideration. You know, that might be uh, appropriate given the situation that you have and the kids have. So your possessions are important to you. Your income is important to you. Your savings are important to you because you worked hard for those. And you want to make sure that they are uh, just and equitably distributed. But let me just say this also. that it's important to remember that you, over the years, have given to charity. You, over the years, have given to your church. You over the years have given to Billy Graham or to the Salvation Army or uh, whomever that might be. Don't forget to include them as part of your distribution of funds and property upon your death. It's kind of like having a third child or a fourth child or having another child. You want to consider charity as a child. Sometimes some people call that charity. Her name is Charity. And you make sure that a certain sum of money is deposited in a pot for charity and distributed to the charitable organizations to which you have interest. When my father died, he had 17 different charities that he gave money to, including his church. 17. And we took the funds that were left over and put them in a pot and distributed them to the to the 17 charities that he gave to over the years in accordance with how much he gave them, the percentage that he gave them in the course of a year, so that his life at, was carried out at death. His interest in life was carried out in his death. The degree which he supported charity during his life carried out in his death. We were honorable and we were trustable. We, we, we had a trust to do that. So I do recommend that you really do consider 
uh, not only the distribution to your children, but that you very seriously contribute to the charitable organizations that you have interest in. It may be new new, new charity. It doesn't have to be the charity you always give them to. You may have a new interest. You may have a new charity. You may have a new organization that has come upon the scene or that provokes your interest. You may want to give them some money. Write it in. Write it into the trust. Write it down. Write it into your will. Make sure that that's included so that upon your death, those distributions are made by whoever administers your your trust or your property and your and your money. So I recommend that you consult plan giver. You recommend I I recommend that you consult a financial planner, an attorney, a CPA that is knowledgeable and and does this kind of consultation and sets up these kinds of programs. Not all attorneys do, not all CPAs do. Financial planners generally do. If you don't have anybody, the paper that I just referred to and many of the items, many of the concepts and many of the points that I've just mentioned came from Trinity Western University in Langley, British Columbia. But they have a plan giving department in Canada, but they also have a plan giving department in the United States. So look it up on your website and contact them if you'd like. It would be a very helpful resource, you know, for you. And... Um, and there are other ones that you can, there are a lot of organizations that have a plan giving department. They'd be glad to sit down with you and help you uh, write out a plan for the distribution of your funds, including the charitable organizations that you believe in and want to support. So, nice to talk with you, and I refer you to my website, booksbyhedberg.com. Booksbyhedberg.com. I have a book, Doctor, Teach Me to Parent, and as part of the parenting process is this issue. How do you help children right on through to the point of your death? And how do you help children launch their independence and support their independence and move on in their life? And how can you be of support and interest and help you know, to them? Nice to be with you. This has been the Psychology Report. Bye-bye.